Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Season 3 of Animates. I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And we're going to kick this season off by talking about The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack, which aired on Cartoon Network from 2008 to 2010. Um, but I think before we get started talking about Flapjack, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what we're terming the animation renaissance. Um, this is something that we and some others think has been going on from 2010 until, you know, unclear. Uh, you know, you might say kind of closed down in 2016. You might say it's ongoing. It's one of those things that's hard to tell so close to it. Um, but that is what we're going to be covering this season is shows that fit into this animation renaissance or are in some ways direct precursors to it. And so I think we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what it is we mean by that and what happened before that even led to the, the need or existence of an animation renaissance. Yeah, I'm personally very excited to do this from uh, partially a historical standpoint, but because also these are some of the best shows that uh, have sort of been itching to talk about for a while. And it is good to just give it all some context. And we're going to break that down right now. The way that I, I sort of dug into this looking at different timelines of the main networks to see where they were throughout the 90s and the late 2000s. And it actually... They all sort of surprisingly line up in certain respects, and there are certain big time periods that match up. So let's talk about, I'm going to get one of the networks out of the way right now. That network is the WB. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, oh, I know. I'm going to get it out of the way because the WB that existed when I was a kid only existed from 95 to 08. And... They ran superhero programming and Warner Brothers programming, and they did have one or two syndicated shows from other networks, but for the most part, it was superheroes and Looney Tunes. <laughs> uh, and by the time that the Renaissance came about, they were on the CW and things were different. Um, yeah. Um, so far as I understand, the CW doesn't really do cartoons anymore. I'm sure they have some kind of daytime kids block. But mostly what the CW is known for now is hour-long dramas, mostly targeted at teenagers. Uh, which actually is not absent on the other networks. There was a large push. This has always been the case with Disney, but there's really been a large push for live-action programming on traditional cartoon networks. So mm -hmm. this, is even, this is even true of Cartoon Network. And yeah, I think um, this might seem shocking to people who don't know a lot about animation, but it's actually cheaper to make a live action show than an animated show. Which is just a damn shame. It really is. Uh, the next one is going to be Cartoon Network, which in my like is ground zero for a lot of what we're going to be discussing and arguably has had the most most renaissance worthy shows absolutely out of all of them so props to cartoon network um 
Cartoon Network started airing cartoons in 93, like that's when the network was formed. And those initial early years from 93 to 96 were really just reruns, Looney Tunes, and they did run a show, which was basically where they aired pilots for other cartoons. I believe Dexter got its start like that. Pretty much all of the cartoon cartoons got their start on What a Cartoon. It was essentially a, um, uh, I don't know what, what I'm looking for, a lab, a farm, a of, content farm, essentially. A, a variety show? I, I like. Well, it's like they were using it, like animators would create shorts for the show What a Cartoon and they would get aired and that's how they were basically finding uh animators and writers and um concepts for uh like full-length actual cartoons not just shorts and all of the all of the cartoon cartoons started as a short on what a cartoon um from 96 to 02 a number of shows that we have talked about fall into this time period and we will talk about shows that we haven't gotten to yet that belong to this time period as well. I sort of seeing what came on TV, I just called it the cartoon cartoon years because that is one of my most vivid memories of Cartoon Network is like the, especially that Friday block of TVs where stuff like Courage the Cowardly Dog aired. And we, we have like, just to name a couple like Johnny Bravo, Cow and Chicken, um, Dexter's Lab was still running. There were the Powerpuff Girls were in the later part of that block. So a lot of stuff is happening there that's pretty good. And I didn't put it on here, but the anime nerd in me would also call these the prime Toonami years. Where <laughs> they begin to like, Pokemon was airing in the morning on different networks and Toonami was becoming popular. I think like Gundam Wing and DBZ were airing during this six year period. So it was a big deal for me as a child. And I like anime today because of that. From 02 to 05, I haven't found a great title for this period because good shows are starting to air some of their programming is starting to slow down a little bit in terms of quality, but by but, but there's not there's not a huge drop off like there are, in my opinion, on some other networks. Um, for example, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy aired during this period. I love that show. I think it's amazing, but it there there weren't a ton of great things. Yeah, it's kind of in the middle. Lukewarm. The lukewarm years, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Um, the next time period, you could argue when it starts. The earliest that I could argue that the, what I will call the Dark Ages or the Drought <laughs> years starts in 05. And I call it that because quality programming really slows down to a trickle. The only show, arguably, in my opinion, that warrants discussing during this period of time is Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. A lot of shows that we loved and cared about that may have started like in 02 or something were starting to end their runs and it was going to reruns and things 
things slowed down. And in that interim, there were some not so great cartoons that were made. Yeah. And I can't remember if it started in 05 or 08, but that's when Cartoon Network started to air quite a few live action programs. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would have to I would have to look back at their timeline. But the latest I would put the dry period is 08. Like it starts in 08 because if you believe that Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends is good enough, you could argue that that was enough to carry them. But in 08, things really start to uh, drop off noticeably. So yeah. depending on who you are, it's either a five-year period or a two-year period. And once we hit 2010, the show that we're going to talk about today um, has laid the stage for Adventure Time and regular show. And this is the beginning of the Renaissance period in Cartoon Network space. Yes. Very good. So that's Cartoon Network's trajectory. 2010. Um, Nickelodeon. Oh, Nickelodeon, I love you. Nickelodeon's going to get left behind today. Starts in 90, at least with its original like cartoon programming. And it breaks out into really nice five-year chunks. 90 to 95, the gross and fun era. This is when, ah, real monsters, Doug, Rugrats, like all these, some childish, some gross. A lot of them are both. <laughs> the, the other name Paige and I were throwing around for this was the Klasky uh, Supo era because their aesthetic had such a huge, that left such a large impression of early yeah. Nickelodeon. For those of you who don't recall, um, Arlene Klasky and Gabor Supo were the husband and wife team uh, whose studio, Klasky Supo, had some kind of a hand in almost every show that was on Nickelodeon during that time period. The ones that there are the most obvious and that they were sort of had direct creative control over were Rugrats and Real Monsters, but they were their aesthetic and their studio were really involved in a lot of stuff at that time. Shows run past the 95 demarcation, but I, I'm sort of basing it less on what is still running and more like what is coming onto the scene a little bit because I had to set some sort of criteria to try and demark these periods of time. 95 to 2000, I called the coming of the sponge slash <laughs> the colorful and weird era. I say the coming of the sponge because this is when sponge, this is the period of time where SpongeBob drops on to Nickelodeon, like a fucking bomb that is still irradiating Nickelodeon to this day. So yep. um, like nuclear waste, it is glowing and weird and colorful and uh, a little bit poisonous. Um, during this period, we see shows like, Hey Arnold, come onto the scene. We start to get, away from the classy, supo, like gross, dark, wacky aesthetic. We start to see shows like Rocket Power, also uh, Cat Dog. Not all high quality, but certainly there, there are shows worth watching in this time period that, mm -hmm. that are developed. Um, 
after 2000, the sponge is, by 2000, the sponge has taken over. Like, SpongeBob is a huge hit by this it's point. It's like the blob. So so it, it takes up a lot of Nickelodeon space, but we still get, like, a lot of really cool original programming. Oh, 2000 to 05, I call, like, the odd parent years slash... Um, like the fairly odd parents burst onto the scene and, and they also become a huge deal for Nickelodeon. And we also see shows like Danny Phantom pop up. There's Jimmy Neutron. So they're still like playing around with a lot of this stuff. There's the style start, sort of becomes blockier and more like neon colored sort of, I guess. Like it's, yeah. it's a very recognizable aesthetic to me. Yeah, like um, Butch Hartman, who did Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom, and who actually came over from Cartoon Network, he it, his his animation style was almost like rectilinear, you know, like whereas Jimmy Neutron is like super curvy. <laughs> um, so it was either it was either like very like these very like bold, thick, um, like sharp, straight lines, or it was like sort of like a CGI like no sharp lines thing. Um, we also get shows like Invader Zim and as told by Ginger, which are, which are interesting shows too. Uh, I love Invader Zim. I know like not everybody does, but it was super fucking weird. And I just like, mm. it, it was really gross, but in a different way than like our real monsters. Avatar. Yeah. Last- and as told by Ginger is like also a really great show. I think underrated, I think it was aimed more at like uh, like middle school aged girls, which a lot of cartoons aren't. We've got the next period of time, 05 to 10. I'm calling this Nickelodeon's Dark Ages because aside from Avatar The Last Airbender, which you could argue just is, is good enough to carry it, um nothing else really comes on like it's put like uh, this might be a little bit strong but it's like pathetically dry in terms of new content and it's not even that they're necessarily getting more live action stuff in this period it just seems that 05 to 10 is a very dry period for nickelodeon as a as a network period yes definitely and um just for the record, during this time period, Nickelodeon turned down Adventure Time three times. Three times. I feel like that tells you everything you need to know about like the executives at Nickelodeon and where their priorities are and whether or not they have any sense about how to allocate their money or like what kind of programming to invest in. So this is like Dark Ages minus Avatar. And then from 2010 on, I label it lovingly Cora plus crap. (laughs) Because I refuse to just say the drought continues because Legend of Korra was so fucking good. But also maybe Nickelodeon kind of deserves it because they pushed Korra online. So do they really have a right to even like claim ownership of it anymore after they kind of treat it like the 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 
begotten child that they put under the ad like under the stairs. The Harry Potter. Are they gonna like they treat it like it's the Harry Potter? Um No, like Nickelodeon makes terrible decisions about what programming to purchase and air. Like they make horrible decisions. They think that they should just make more SpongeBob for twenty five years. Yeah, <laughs> and that no one will ever get tired of it. Just so everybody knows, like Airing concurrently with Legend of Korra, we have Winx Club, T-U-F-F Puppy, Kung Fu Panda, Legend of Awesomeness, the Penguins of Madagascar, uh, and other forgettable shows. And Like, almost all of those are also based on previously existing IP that was not owned by Nickelodeon and that they purchased. I think I think maybe that partially explains where their money was going. Yes. They needed to pay all that money to get those penguins. Those fucking penguins. Um so Nickelodeon has never really recovered in in terms of quality animation. The Legend of Korra was the last good thing they had. And it's over. It's been over for years now. Yeah, it's like, honestly, it's really disappointing that for like 15, for the last 15 years, Nickelodeon has only produced two series that were really worth a damn, and they were both Avatar series. Um, So where, like, this this is a big open question for like, where in the hell is Nickelodeon going to go next? Because uh, I don't, this to me kind of makes me wonder like how healthy they are. Yeah, I mean like I don't know uh I'm I'm no longer a teenager and don't really like know any teenagers or children right now, so I don't know like what the deal is with their live action programming because when I was a teenager, even though they were not really making good cartoons anymore, they were still making like Drake and Josh and iCarly because live action programming had always been part of what they did and it was more in their wheelhouse than it was for Cartoon Network. And so they were still making like pretty solid like children's sitcoms that could still, um, you know, carry the network even though their animation was really suffering. But I don't know what's going on with them these days. Like I don't know if their live action shows are still any good and and i guess like if we were talking about the network as a whole they've had some great live action stuff um keenan and kel for example um clarissa i loved i clarissa explains it all made me gay i think um i really yeah, like what a classic sh- what a classic are you afraid <laughs> of the dark they they ran the Animorphs live action series. Oh shit, they did. Sure Dude, created. I really loved both Drake and Josh and iCarly. I thought they were great. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Um, Animorphs probably created a generation of furries. Um, <laughs> not gonna lie. Uh, I my like I've seen people talk about shows like Victorious, but I I don't really know how good they are. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But moving on from Nickelodeon, the last is Disney. And Disney uh, also is fairly easy to split into four time periods. 
90 to 90 when Disney starts producing like airing animation, because before that they had had other things. 90 to 2000 is all unoriginal programming. There's not, um, there, they don't produce any of their own animated shows. They acquire them from other networks. A lot of stuff from Buena Vista and ABC. For example, they show cartoons based on their Disney movies. So the Aladdin animated series, which I watched as a kid, liked that a lot. Um, Robin Williams was always conspicuously absent from the genie voice. So there's a lot of just like old stuff. Also live action shows. Disney from the beginning has always done live action stuff. From uh, 2000 to 08, I just call this the classic era because like a lot of stuff pops on here. We've got stuff like Proud Family. But then we also have stuff like, oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Why am I blanking? Kim Possible? Kim, ah, Kim Possible. Um, <laughs> why, why am I forgetting these things? Uh, I don't know. So yeah, we have shows like The Proud Family and Kim Possible airing. You know, pretty good shows. I watched a lot of Kim Possible when I was a kid. I... Really liked her. I really like the aesthetic of that show, even though it's not like groundbreaking, I guess. Um, after 08, though, they really go dry. And this becomes their dark ages, in my opinion. Now, one thing I do wonder is um, Disney launched the Toon Disney brand at some point in the early aughts. And I'm wondering if. Maybe they did still. I'm still not sure after 08. I st- my memory still makes me think that they didn't really have anything good. But maybe they moved more of their animation programming over the, to the Toon Disney brand rather than the main Disney thing. Or is the, are your sources accounting for both? Oh, no. You know what? Um, I didn't account for that. Didn't Gravity Falls actually air on Toon Disney and not Disney Disney? Uh, when I looked up with... So actually, this may be researcher error. Um, from what I could tell, it was fairly comprehensive, though. So Yeah, I do think... I will say that even in the early years of Toon Disney, I watched a fair amount of it. And there was a lot of just, like, astoundingly bad programming. Um, There was some, like, okay stuff, but mostly it was bad. Um, There was, like, a lot more of the, you know, shows based on their movies. So, like, The Emperor's New Groove and Hercules and Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, which was actually okay. Um, And, like, Brandy and Mr. Whiskers, which was just horrific. But then there was some cool stuff, like, and I don't know if it was original content, but, like, Lloyd in Space um, aired on Toon Disney, and that was really cool, and I can't remember, and this was all pre-2008, this was, like, maybe, like, 2005 to 2008, um, I think Dave the Barbarian also aired on Toon Disney, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, so from what I can tell, I the, re- the timeline that I had found did account for, like, general Disney Channel properties, Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so after 
Because after two, like, we've got Phineas and Ferb that airs in 2007. And then after that, it really dries up animation. Yeah. They really doubled down like, on all of their live action properties. Which itself also got so much worse <laughs> than it had been before. And with the animation, like, don't get me wrong. I'll watch an episode of Phineas and Ferb. You know, it's a it's a good show, but it's not good enough to carry a network. No, in terms of animation, absolutely not. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's sort of it's sort of like what happened to Cartoon Network with Foster's Home, but Foster's Home is, in my opinion, way better than Phineas and Ferb. So oh yeah, no doubt about it. Um, their dry years last until 2012, when conspicuously gravity falls comes on gravity falls doesn't air until 2012 though i i said 2012 oh i thought you said 2010 my bad no sorry it, it if i did i apologize 2012 2012 is is when disney enters the renaissance and arguably then promptly leaves it <laughs> they have a couple of other shows um but I that I've heard good things about, but that I haven't watched yet, so I'm not really prepared to speak to them. Yeah, I will be. I will certainly want to explore some of that stuff. They had a Star mm-hmm. Wars show that aired on there from 18 to 20 that I think I might have heard about, and maybe it was good. But I'm looking. Yeah, it was like another Clone Wars series, I think. Yeah, and people so said I, good things about it. Yeah, so that. Eventually, we will watch the Star Wars shows because they air on different networks and they are very good. But other than that, I don't I don't see anything that I have seen since Gravity Falls. That that is as good as it is. So, yeah, truth be told, everybody. Cartoon Network is king. After 10, 2010. Yeah, they just like completely steamroll over everybody else and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that like I think that there are usually like there are like waves in uh, animation just like in any other sort of creative field where like sort of like a new generation of really talented people sort of comes of age and like sweeps in and works together and like makes really great things and I think that what you see come out of that really depends on what the network is really willing to do, where they want to invest, and the types of freedom they allow people to have. And I think Cartoon Network was willing to do that. Like, they kind of saw that they had been fucking up and changed tactics. And the other networks did not do that. Um, and there are some people who say that we like left the Renaissance in like 2016 because Cartoon Network also like did an about face again and stopped doing that. But I'm not really, I think we're too close to it. I'm not prepared to say at, you know, at this time. It's also difficult because it's very possible. The Renaissance has continued on streaming services and we haven't kept up with it. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that'll sort of be an open question. I, I do think the show we're talking about today, one of two things is possible. I guess they're both possible. Cartoon Network was lucky. They were lucky that this this particular group of people 
came together and they kept them in house. Mm-hmm. Like that. I, I also, that yeah, I think they were smart to in their investment decisions to, um, you know, buy these pitches from these different artists who had been working at the network already. I mean, they owe really, they owe whoever got this team together for Flapjack and like brought them into Cartoon Network is arguably the person that is responsible for the majority of this renaissance we're talking about. Whoever, yeah, whoever, whoever was like standing was. around on the CalArts campus accosting a bunch of college students, like, Rebecca Sugar, you know, in like Pendleton 2007. <laughs> Yeah, like, because cause you get, um, we should probably, we'll introduce these people when we introduce the the, the cast and, and crew behind Flapjack. But yeah, there are going to be cartoons of high quality that we talk about in this season, because it's going to be all about this Renaissance period, that are not on these major networks that have gone online. So we do get a taste of that. And hopefully that will give us an idea of where we might go next. This is an area where if you believe, based on our conversation today or on following shows where we talk about the qualities of these shows, if you would suggest something, you're like, hey, you don't know about this, but this fits in completely with what you are doing. With the themes and the qualities that you that I'm actually about we're actually about to talk about, tell mm-hmm. us because that is something that we need to know. I th- yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, so we're saying basically this renaissance truly kicks off in 2010. There are going to be a couple of shows like Flapjack that are outside of it because we, that we cover because we think that they were important precursors uh, to to this renaissance. But there's also not every show that was made after 2010 is just like an incredible show because it was made after 2010. There's still a lot of shit. Um, and so what makes something a part of this animation renaissance is, I think, a little bit more nebulous. And I won't lie. Sometimes it's it's subjective, it's personal. Sometimes it's just about like, well, I like it a lot. <laughs> so I think it is, you know. Um, but I think there are certain qualities that um, that tie these things together. Um, and so, some of them are aesthetic and some of them are about storytelling. And I think this is something that we'll revisit in future shows because as we watch these things, we might think of other things or our opinion might, you know, change. Uh, we just, I think for the most part, like a big signal to a lot of this is like lineage. For example, the lineage of, uh, I always say his throat is, I always say his first name wrong. Um, throat Van Orman. Yeah. Throat Van Orman. Cause mm-hmm. everybody, like a lot of people work on the show, go on like Pendleton Ward is also going to become a huge name. For example. Yeah. Like. Van Orman is like a granddaddy and there's a big family tree of um, creators and showrunners that sort of like branch out from him. Flapjack, the sorry, the marvelous misadventures of Flapjack is is like the soil 
that will lead to this stuff. Yeah, um, it was a proving ground. Proving ground. It aired on Cartoon Network. Um, starting in, oh my gosh, I had the year. 2008. 2008, correct. It ran for 2008 three, to 2010. It ran for uh, three seasons, though the third season is very short. It only had... Only six episodes. Six episodes. And those are... they. It was right before they made the switchover from numbering episodes in half hours to numbering them in um, segments, like 11-minute segments. So when we say six episodes, we mean six 30-minute blocks, 12 segments. It... It's a weird show. It was, uh, sorry, it was created by Throp Van Orman. I, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. And <laughs> there are going to be some very important names that we say, say right now that you should probably remember. He was the creator, but uh, let's talk about who worked on the show. Let's talk about who worked yeah. on the show. So creative director, uh, J.G. Quintel by himself for the first season and with John Infantino uh, for the second two seasons. J.G. Quintel, creator and showrunner of Regular Show. Um, A writer and storyboard artist, Pendleton Ward, creator of Adventure Time. Writer and storyboard artist, uh, Alex Hirsch, creator of Gravity Falls. Writer and story uh, storyboard artist, Patrick McHale, creative uh, creator of Over the Garden Wall. Wow. You know, and, and, and those are the major ones, but like, dude, <laughs> that's that's so many people. That's like four people working on one show who went on to create like massive hits, like incredible shows, not to mention the people who worked on their shows that then went to create on to create other stuff. Example being uh, Rebecca Sugar worked for Pendleton Ward. So. It just goes on. And since it was mentioned, we already did talk about a Renaissance show. And that show is Over the Garden Wall. We, yes. We didn't. We wanted to cover it for other reasons, so we put it a little bit out of order. But just know that that is a show that most certainly belongs in this big time period. Yeah, absolutely. Now, despite all of these people working on the show... it. The show itself is somewhat, to me, like disappointingly lacking in substance. It's very Spongebobian. Yeah. And it it uses some tropes that we've talked about before for entertainment. Like lots of gross close-ups, slapstick kind of stuff. Very exaggerated characters with uh, like... I keep saying gross, but it's like gross qualities. It's this show is almost like a transitional fossil. It has a lot of the sort of it's very SpongeBobian. So I'll keep using that word, even though these qualities aren't limited to SpongeBob. But it has those SpongeBobian qualities of uh, these sort of like gross looking close ups and absurdism and extremely exaggerated characters and things kind of being a little bit annoying, <laughs> you know, but it also has a stronger focus on 
adventure and on relationships and on personal development that are major things that we see in uh, Renaissance shows. So it's it's a very clear sort of in-between point for, for two eras. It, I mean, it generally did receive like a number of award animation or nominations. So it was being seriously considered by, by the organizations that give out awards for animation, but mm, it, definitely. Didn't win, it didn't, uh, it didn't win any. Ex- well, okay. It won a primetime Emmy for outstanding individual achievement in animation for like, there one you go. Epi- for like one episode. But uh, other than that, it didn't really, it was nominated for a bunch of stuff, but it, it its effects were less award-based, more nebulous on the industry. For sure. And I think also what's interesting to me is I think that a lot of the people who weren't like writers had um, a lot of freedom on episodes that they would write because You'll see, you know, if it's an episode that J.G. Quintel wrote, it will become even more Quintel. You know, the, it's always like you can if you've watched regular show, you can look at Flapjack and be like, oh, I see, you know, <laughs> that J.G. Quintel was the creative director on this. But then there will be episodes that like Pendleton Ward yes. writes and you're like, oh, yeah, that's like a, a Pendleton Ward thing. You know, like a particular kind of weirdness it's, that's very Pendleton Ward, right? And Pendleton Ward has this kind of like humor in the banal things. So like businessmen or lawyers. Yes. And like he takes these like very serious adult things and then just like makes fun of them. And it's whenever great. a businessman shows up, I'm like, okay, Pendleton. <laughs> I think he voices the businessman too. Does he? Oh my I, god, I, I incredible! And if not, they're they're written. It, it, it's just it's like very aesthetic, <laughs> I guess. Too, yeah, it's very Pendleton Ward, where where those things happen. Definitely, I, I do. And I do, also, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, another thing that I want to say about the show is it's it feels very male to me. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think something we've talked about before is that um, we think that for a long time, Cartoon Network was pretty like boy marketed. And I think that um, in the Renaissance era, it became less so. It became more sort of gender gender neutral, but this show definitely still has some of those like boy things that as a kid, I didn't really like to watch. Like I don't, I did not, and I still don't really like the gross close-ups, you know, I don't really enjoy gross out humor. And sometimes it kind of feels like this was like a bunch of animation dudes who got together and just did like gross, gross, funny boy things they're just like sitting in their room and just like not i'm not saying that's actually what happened but sometimes it feels like that yeah i I mean like an animation is still definitely in 2008 but and still now very much you know sort of a boys club um so i don't think it's like unreasonable to think that you know to have that impression of something like this uh other things to note um 
we can introduce our main characters. There is no meta plot to the show. Well, okay. The search for Candied the Island. The search for Candied Island and the fact that they like adventure and love candy. Like, there are important things that they never attain to. Um, okay, so... I also want to say that the show is partially based on uh, Von Orman's experience with Florida, <laughs> which I think is absolutely fucking hilarious. Yeah, definitely. Like, people, people are gross and rude and ocean, uh, like they live in like near the ocean. and They live like on the ocean. Their Starnalong Harbor isn't a harbor. It's just like a bunch of docks in the middle of the ocean. Um. So our main characters are the young Flapjack, who is voiced by Orman himself, Mm -hmm. Uh, which I love. I love it when that happens. Flapjack is a little kid. Yeah, I would say Flapjack's maybe like 10. Yeah. And he is uh, an orphan being raised by a giant whale named Bubby, who's great. I fucking love Bubby. She's my favorite. I love character. Bubby too. She's my In favorite. In case you character. don't know, like the the best way for me to describe Bubby for those who don't know is she's she's portrayed and voiced as your classic uh sassy black woman stereotype. Um she's a whale and Flapjack lives in her mouth. And Bubby is such a good mom. <laughs> she is such a good mom. She is so maternal. And the person who she generally fights with is Captain Knuckles, who is voiced by Brian Doyle Murray, who is in like a bunch of stuff. Okay. Yeah. He's I'm not like, sure I'm familiar. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, he's done like, he, he's been in a bunch of movies with Bill Murray. That's where I knew him from. He's he's usually the guy with the gruff voice and gross teeth. Oh my god, you know what I just realized? The voice of Bubby, Roz Ryan, you know what else she voiced? The fat muse and Hercules. <laughs> AKA the best one. The best one? <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> um I love her voice. I do. I really do. Um Captain Knuckles is a a adventure He's, oh my God, he's like selfish. I, <laughs> he, he lies. He takes advantage of Flapjack. He's dumb. Like he, he just, he is the main driver of problem in the show. Wait, Brian Doyle Murray is Bill Murray's brother. Wait, am I thinking of somebody else? No, you're correct. Brian Doyle Murray is the voice of Captain Knuckles. He is in a million things. And he is Bill Murray's brother. He's Bill Murray's brother? He's Bill Murray's brother. Bill Murray had a there's brother? There's a whole set. There's a there's four of them. There's a whole set of Murray brothers. They're like the Baldwins. I know him from like Groundhog Day. Um, yeah, he was in, he was in Groundhog Day, he was in Caddyshack, he was in Ghostbusters 2. He was in SpongeBob SquarePants. Apparently he's the Flying Dutchman. For the longest time I was thinking he was Mr. Krabs. Uh, he's been in a bunch of cartoons. Yeah. Oh, he, uh, he's, he, I'm rewatching King of the Hill. He's in King of the Hill. 
Uh, there you Jackie go. Chan Adventures, you know, as- The Angry Beavers, Justice League, Snow Dogs. Uh, wow. You know, as my grand likes to say, if you're not careful, you'll learn something new every day. I love your grand. She's the best. <laughs> so, uh, after learning this shocking fact, we... Um, so Captain Knuckles is a dupe. Classic dupe. He thinks he, he's also, He's a complete jackass. He's, he's dumb, a, and he's mean, and he's selfish. He's also completely Dunning-Kruger. He doesn't know... He's, he's too stupid to know that he doesn't know things. Oh, yeah. He's, like, you know, and he, he gets... He's, like, angry all the time because, like, nobody respects... <laughs> That's one of my favorites. So one of the excellent recurring jokes in Flapjack is that sometimes they'll just, like zoom in on something or something will happen and there will be like a little song that happens exogenously and at one point there's like an episode where flapjack's trying to do something without knuckles but that is knuckles related and <laughs> there's a little, little song that goes that's when flapjack realized nobody respects knuckles <laughs> they i love i love their little songs <laughs> they're so good <laughs> like it kills me um uh one of my favorite things is those in the last season with the boots, they click and every time they zoom in on the boots, they're like, ay, ay, ay! and they say something in Spanish that I can't remember. Oh my God. Uh, really? Okay. Anyway, let's continue with like the setup <laughs> and then I'll okay. talk more about like my favorite little jokes in the show. Um, they, Knuckles is obsessed with adventure. Flapjack really respects Knuckles, which is very dumb. Um, very dumb. They always look for the the show is obsessed with candy. So all of these sailors and pirates and everybody is like obsessed with candy. So getting candy, candy is booze. It's like the this was also a very classic trope used in Ed Ed Nettie. Like it's it's very Ed Ed Nettie, actually. Like they always want candy, but they always have trouble getting candy. <laughs> so it feels almost like an homage to that idea. To me um okay but you know they find candy from time to time and they're always like knuckles is always coming up with schemes to get candy and shit happens really weird shit just happens all the time and that's the show yeah pretty much yeah it has the same kind of like like you like an absurdism that Looks more similar to Spongebob, but that I think is also a big precursor to Renaissance shows. Like some of the weird things that happen in that show are very much like, okay, this is an episode of regular show. Like they're just doing something normal and then something like it gets way out of hand and something unexpected and supernatural happens. Or like the fucking mermaid episode where that was written by um, Alex Hirsch and Pendleton Ward is so like extremely like the animation of the mermaid is like very like cute, creepy in that adventure time way. And it's just like (laughs) Knuckles steals the mermaid's heart and the queen of the mermaids just sits and stares at them as they take all of her heart wishes and like gets grosser and grosser and like, Flapjack's freaking out because the mermaid's going to die. But then it turns out she turns into a sky maid. 
like it's like that's like that's an episode of Adventure Time, you know? Like that would absolutely happen in an episode of Adventure Time. Yeah, yeah, for real. They they very much leave their own personal marks at different points in the show. Super noticeable. Um Yeah. Somebody in the like, show hates cats. I know that like I don't know which writer hates cats, but one of them hates cats. I didn't pick up on that. Well, there's there's just like one particular episode where like cats are a, like it kind of feels like a Pendleton Ward episode a little bit, but I'm I, I don't remember for sure. Okay. Yeah, I think also some of the like the show is a lot more relationship focused. Um, than a lot of other shows like most of the episodes even though like hijinks and shenanigans are happening a lot of it is focused on like whether Flapjack is doing the right thing or Flapjack's relationship with Knuckles or Flapjack's relationship with Bubby or Knuckles and Bubby's relationship you know and that is something that I think is like a renaissance trait and particularly like one of the kinds of relationship we see in the show I think is something that becomes more common in a lot of the shows that we're talking about which is a grouchy mean old man and uh, a relationship that he has with a naive and pure hearted young boy you know Um, so if you think like um, Jake and Finn or uh, Grunkle Stan and Dipper. I think it's the same kind of relationship. I think the major difference, though, is it's still in a time period where cartoons are kind of mean spirited. So Knuckles, deep, deep, deep down somewhere, does love Flapjack, but he like doesn't love him that much, and he doesn't respect him at all. <laughs> and Flapjack is very stupid. And in the way we see those relationships in future shows, the grumpy older party is actually a great big softy secretly, and the younger party is not so stupid. So it brings a greater level of nuance to the relationship than with Knuckles and Flapjack, where basically Knuckles just hurts and takes advantage of Flapjack all of the time. I don't know. I'm pretty convinced Jake is a psychopath. Uh, he loves Finn. Jake loves Finn, if nothing else. And he loves his wife and he loves his children. Two things can be true. <laughs> that's that's true. I do think Pendleton Ward has this particular kind of like psychopathic approach to character to some characters. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah. we'll talk about that later. Um But yeah, Knuckles isn't a psychopath, he's a narcissist. Yeah, he's just <laughs> dumb <laughs> he's so dumb <laughs> it's just so there's an episode where they show that he doesn't know his left from his right oh my god yeah see there's nobody smart in this show also everyone in this show is profoundly stupid like bubby's smarter than everybody else but she's still not that smart the doctor in town heals people by hitting them with sticks dr baba dr mm, baba yes he, um, he, I think he's very much a Pendleton Ward character. Yeah, I think Dr. Barber's great. <laughs> like, he's so creepy. The must, his mustache is just, like, really gross. 
Oh my god, it's the worst. And he's like an he's an he's a horizontal oval, basically. <laughs> Peppermint Larry yeah. and his candy I... wife. Candy wife kills me. <laughs> yeah. So there's a dude who runs a tavern in town, but instead of alcohol, it serves candy. And the dude who owns it is named Candy Larry. And he really That's dislikes Larry. Knuckles. And Candy Larry. Peppermint Larry. Peppermint Larry has a wife entirely made out of candy. Yes. That he treats as a real and, person. And everyone calls her Candy Wife. And actually, one element of meta plot that is in this show is that Knuckles is in love with Candy Wife. <laughs> there is an episode where he almost gets a chance to like spirit her away, but like shit happens. Yeah, it's funny. The first episode where like Flapjack makes some kind of sly comment about Knuckles being in love and he like makes a sad face and looks in the distance and he's looking at Candy Wife. You're like, wait, what? And then they just keep bringing it back subtly in like more and more episodes that he's in love with Candy Wife. Uh, interesting things to talk about this show. Um, the way that they treat women is not great. No, it's really not. It's really like it's actually it's actually kind of disappointing. And yeah, there there's like two ways that women will go. Well, OK, three really old, really ugly, really beautiful. And like, yeah, there are also see. literally like a bunch of whores in the show, yeah. like like sex workers, <laughs> like. I say whores because they're old timey and they're <laughs> always in the tavern. They're clearly wearing corsets. They're sex workers. Yeah, they're wearing corsets and they're they're wearing like the Wild West era attire that you would see in a yes. brothel. Yes, exactly. And like women exist in the show to be an antagonist or to be like a love object, and that's it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the only one that's kind of, like, different is um, Sally Syrup because it's, like, Flapjack, like, loves her, but she is just, like, and you think that she's, like, going to also have a crush back, but she, like, just doesn't give a shit about him and actually just kind of, like, hates everything and is a miscreant. I do love that. She's uh, fun. She's, like, the most like real person woman on the hey, show. What about Bubby? Bubby is Bubby's a great character and I love her, but her whole character is like mom. That's you know, true. she's like a sassy mom and it's really there are very few episodes where Bubby has like wants and needs that are outside of like caring for Flapjack or trying to deal with Knuckles. Very true. Very true. This show would not pass the Bechtel test. Absolutely not. Just for an example. So that's not great. Um, which is weird because it does get better. Like in the people that go on to create shows, that gets much better. Yeah, definitely. Like, and I think, you know, honestly, I lay some of it at the feet of J.G. Quintel. 
because he was creative director. And if you watch regular show, it's yeah. a really great show. Yeah. But there aren't a ton of women characters on the show. Like more get introduced as it goes on. But there aren't a ton of women characters on the show. And at least at the beginning, they aren't very fleshed out either. So I think that's like, I think that's a blind spot that he has or had. And obviously, like, you know, Thurup Van Orman is the biggest part of that as like the creator and showrunner. But I don't want to like let J.G. Quintel off the hook with that. But then also, on the other hand, like all of the other writers could have also written more women and didn't, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting because maybe some of that was Pendleton Ward, too. And it didn't show up as much in Adventure Time because he hired people like Rebecca Sugar. Who corrected yeah, for that's it. entirely possible. So it's it's hard. T- Pendleton Ward strikes me as the kind of person who does weird shit and isn't like intentionally like discriminatory. He's just like a weirdo. Yeah, I think like from the content of the shows that these people went on to create, I like and not knowing them as people in real life, I would have a hard time like saying about any of them like these are like intentionally discriminatory people you know but I would say definitely this show didn't have very many women and didn't write very fleshed out women characters and I think that at least in the early seasons of regular show they didn't have very many women and they weren't very fleshed out characters so I definitely I feel comfortable enough being like it seems like that was a blind spot for J.G. Quintel that maybe he like improved on as he grew up yeah yeah. Um, what else? Some of their portrayals of groups is kind of bad. Um, groups are basically always a mob in this show. Well, and and I'm thinking of like ethnic groups. Oh, yeah. The Russians one was weird. Yeah. So there's like a ship full of pirates and they're like names and the way they're being talked about. You're like, oh, it's like a Russian caricature. Well, but the then writing. they get on the ship and like the way that they talk is like, through like blowing raspberries basically. And it's so far from even like a caricature of Russian that I was like, okay, well, I guess maybe not supposed to be Russian because I was just so baffled (laughs) by their language. Yeah. The thing that got me was like, they had big beards. They had hats that kind of looked like those Russian like caps. And then the writing in their books was Cyrillic. Oh, I didn't see the Cyrillic. So maybe I was just projecting that onto the situation. No, I definitely at first was like, oh, it's a Russian caricature. And then just got confused into thinking maybe that it wasn't. (laughs) Because I was expecting some kind of like fake Russian sounding language. And then it wasn't that. So I was baffled. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um. I, I, I'm not going to come down too hard on it because I just don't know. But it was, it did catch my attention. It did yeah, catch my for attention. sure. Definitely. Um, there are also like, uh, there's a fair amount of adult humor in the show also, like a fair amount of sex jokes. Like the one that got me the most is they're walking through the market one day and people are hawking their wares and there's a guy holding a crab in either hand, just screaming, I've got crabs over and over again. <laughs> Oh my god. Um yeah, for sure. Lots that is certainly a precursor to shit we see in the Renaissance. 
Mm-hmm, definitely. Not that adult jokes have ever been absent from animation, as we've talked about numerous times, but adult themes really... I was just watching a, an episode of Adventure Time the other day, and somebody said something, and I just, like, broke down laughing because it was so clearly erotic. Mm-hmm. There's tons of sex jokes at Adventure Time. So many. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, like, Flapjack, it has a lot more of that, like, sort of, like, annoying humor. But it definitely did grow on me as time went on because I really like Flapjack. He was just, like, a little sweetie. You know? <laughs> you know? Like, he made me feel warm-hearted towards him. And I do think it was like a really funny show. It doesn't have as much depth as some of the, as the other stuff that we're going to talk about this season, but it was really funny and it did have like a really strong commitment to like the bit. For example, whenever Flapjack takes a step, it makes a squeaky toy sound. And it always does that for every single step he takes for the entire show and it's so funny. Like it never stopped being funny. <laughs> I agree. I agree. They 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 were very consistent too. I think mm-hmm. so. Um, even if it isn't the greatest, they always had the same consistency. There was really good use of traditional non animation media like stop motion. That was pretty good. Yes, they were creative in the sense that I never felt that things were being rehashed in a boring way. Overall, it was very consistent. It is very unique without saying a whole lot. Yeah, I I agree, definitely. Um, It doesn't really... It doesn't really go very deep, and I don't think that it really has the desire... I think that there were writers on the show who had the desire to, like, go deeper with the content, but I don't think that, like the show, the entity of the show, you know, um, saw itself in that way, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with that assessment as well. Uh, I think for the most part, now would be a good time to talk about any, like, things you really liked or highlights about the show, and then we'll wrap up because the soil is tilled in the sense that the people who worked on the show are ready to go on to other things. So let's, let's go. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think I already highlighted the hilarity that is the squeaky toy sound for when Flapjack walks and the random little songs. Those are both bits that go on throughout the show, which really, really kill me. They're, they're the exact kind of like a little weird thing that I really like. I really like how Knuckles, like, there's an episode where he has to go look for his butt that he (laughs) lost as a child. And that he stole his prosthetic limbs from another guy who had a prosthetic limb. (laughs) Like, Knuckles is actually just a torso. He's mostly made of wood. (laughs) He is just a torso. Like, they take that pirate trope and turn it up to 11. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. And Knuckles is only blue from the chest up. I his body his body is so is bizarre. Gross. It's so bizarre. 
Like other people are semi-normal looking. (laughs) There, there's a very masculine dedication to facial hair in the show. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Because have you ever seen Pendleton Ward's beard? It's like huge. It's insane. Thurp Van Orman also has like an insane beard. So they're, yeah. they're part of the beard club, which is not a yeah. club for women who are with gay men to hide the gay men's identity. <laughs> if you didn't know what a beard was, now you do. Yeah. Um, um, I love that they fucking don't eat anything but candy until like one of the last episodes. Yeah, they only like it's just like, God, they're like rotting from the inside. It's disgusting because in one of the last season's episodes, they're eating veggies because they can't find any candy, which leads you. Oh, yeah. And they call them vegetables, (laughs) which leads you to believe that this entire time they have literally subsisted entirely on candy. Horrific. And their version of Absolutely a vegetable. Horrific. Their version of a vegetable is eating dried up seaweed that washed onto the dock. Yeah, like I do wonder though, how would people how do people in Stormalong get any food? I don't know if we're supposed to think that hard. Yeah. Also, I like the episode where they find a continent. Because up till then, you've been like, oh, this is like basically a water world. Like everything is like islands or weird, weird like dock locations or that one weird like undersea colony where the inventor does child slavery. Oh, um, that's but then right. they like, what? That's right. The child slavery. Yeah, that's the first episode. <laughs> um, but then like one uh, one episode, they just like accidentally find a continent and on the it's like a Gulliver's Travels thing there's like little tiny tiny people and giants living there um yeah there I anything else I like came to really like Flapjack as a character like his like sort of sweetness and naivete really grew on me he's I think he He's like a, he's a young boy with a lot of, um, in a good way, like a lot of feminine traits. Yeah, I feel like Flapjack is kind of like Finn if Finn were way stupider. <laughs> yes. And, and less concerned about being cool. They really do like adventure. Both of them are really into the concept of adventure. Love adventure and are really like big hearted. Yeah, yeah. Flapjack is always redeeming he's probably the only reason knuckles hasn't been killed by now yeah really and it's like all usually when flapjack does bad things it's because he was like coerced into it in some way by knuckles and he like usually ends up learning his lesson that it's wrong you know that's you know what it's it's short i i'm not gonna say you should go watch the whole series but if you would like to take a look at you might you might find episodes that have specifically been produced by Pendleton Ward or by JG Quintel or uh, Alex, Alex Hirsch do it because it would be an interesting thing to see if you recognize the early signs of the shows these people went on to create 
But for sure. Because I think especially with the Pendleton, like it's easiest with Pendleton Ward because he, Adventure Time has like just the most content. Um, but, you know, like I'll watch an episode that he wrote and be like, oh, like long flowing blonde hair, like weird mythical, be- a horse that looks upsetting, <laughs> you know, like just like little things that show up a lot in Adventure Time, too. Yeah, it's on Hulu. Go watch it on Hulu. Yeah, it's only 46 episodes. So even if you wanted to watch the whole thing, it would not take you that long. Uh, but next week, so the order that we're planning on going in for a while here is thus. Regular show will be our first stop. Now, why why aren't you doing Adventure Time? You said that this really all started with Adventure Time, right? Um, the reason is, is because regular show and Adventure Time started concurrently. And we're sort of keeping a symmetry here with J.G. Quintel. And that that's a big reason. That's a big reason. There's like um, a large degree of aesthetic similarity, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Adventure Time follows regular show. And then we are going to talk about Gravity Falls. And then the last thing that we can tell you the order on is going to be Steven Universe. So we've got mm-hmm. some very big things ahead of us. And I can already tell you that Adventure Time and probably Steven Universe will take longer than normal. Yeah, they'll take probably a long time. Um, Because with Adventure Time, there's just so much of it. And they're also so, like, dense. They're so, like, rich (laughs) that it will just, like... I can't really imagine covering Adventure Time and doing it any kind of justice in an hour and a half. You know? Yeah, so whether it takes us a little bit longer in terms of um, more weeks to rewatch all of these things, or we split it into multiple episodes per show, uh, I already know that that's definitely also going to happen with Steven Universe. And so this could be a majority of our season, the lineup that we've just stated. If we have time left over and it makes sense we might take suggestions from people if you think there's something we just need to add in there but other than that that is where our headspace is at um Mm -hmm. we do have some other things already on our list that we'd like to cover but we're not really sure like what we're going to be able to get to and like when you know what order we're going to do it in so we'll just kind of like keep that to ourselves for now we are going to Sometime in the not-so-far future, do another Patreon subscriber-only movie. I, If you haven't, you might consider subscribing to go listen to our Titan AE review, which I thought was really fucking funny. It was a good time. We also had our first ever guest on the show, um, and so, you know, that was a good time, too. So if you haven't, you might consider just popping a little dollar or two our way and getting some extra content. Yeah, we don't have our Patreon set up that you have to like, like give $5 or whatever to get the reward. Like if you give us any money at all, you get those episodes. <laughs> yeah, so that's out there. Uh, aside from that, I, I am finished for this evening. Uh, and this has been Animates. I've been Chris. 
and I've been Paige. As usual, please uh, follow us on all of our social media. That's Animates on Facebook, at Animates on Twitter, and Animates at gmail.com. And as always, we'd also like you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so it can help like-minded people find the show. Thank you for listening.